0: This is worth repeating from Texas Public Radio, Real Stories Told by Your Neighbors and Friends, recorded live in San Antonio. I'm Andrea Vocab Sanderson, San Antonio's Poet Laureate. Bob Ross, the artist and icon of positive thinking, once said that we don't make mistakes, we just have happy accidents. That's what this episode is about, happy accidents, bad luck that turned into good luck. Chance encounters that change everything. You can't force one of these happy accidents to happen, but you can put yourself out there and try to be in the right place at the right time. For our first storyteller, Jeremy Landon, that meant knocking on hundreds of strangers' doors and seeing who answered.
1: Running for office is... And will forever be, for me, a really, really special and important time in my life. But it will also be remembered to me as, as one of the hardest uh, things I've ever done before. Um, and early on, when I first was making that decision, um, who then became my campaign manager, uh, Dr. Barbarena, Said Jeremy, "Are you sure this is something you want to do?" And I said, I, "This is something I want to do." And she said, "This is going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done. Are you sure this is something you want to do?" I said, "Yes." Uh, and sure enough, she was right. <laughs> um, it was one of the you know most difficult things I had 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 ventured off to accomplish, um, and surprisingly enough, not only was it one of the most difficult things I had done. Uh, so far in my life but it was also one of the most rewarding experiences Uh, I have had the opportunity to to take part in and to invite others along on the journey with me um and and I say that because I had some really amazing experiences and and one of those uh I I really want to share and just follow follow this with me and, and kind of visualize this with me but here I am walking um, down Sedalbo. It's a hot day. I'm wearing my t-shirt. Uh, this is probably the t-shirt I was wearing. Uh, wearing some shorts, the sun's beaming down. It's, it's you know, uh, one of those San Antonio days. And I'm walking down the street ready to, to hit another door out of, out of the thousands of doors I'd hit so far with my team and, and, and on my own as well. Um, and walk up to this home, uh, probably a little sweaty if I can remember correctly, And the woman looks at me that answers, the woman that answers the door looks at me and says, do you, are you, you look so familiar. And then she reads my shirt and she says, Norberto Landin, are you, are you related to Petito, to the other Norberto Landin? Um, And is your grandfather also Norberto Landin? And I said, well, well, yes. I said, that's my father and my grandfather. Um, I said, I'm actually the third and, and it's, I know it's not on here, uh, but I've always gone by Jeremy. So not a whole bunch of people know me as, as my my first name, um, unless they had me on a roster or in school or, you know, in one of those at the hospital, things like that. Um, and she said, oh my gosh, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm actually your Thea, I'm your Thea Margaret. Uh, I've, I've, I, I didn't know I'd have the opportunity to meet you. Um, and so just to, to, to back up a little bit, um, I had, there was a, a large part of my family that for a long time I had not met. And that's just due to you know, family things, right? That's just whatever circumstances or situations that, that arise and you don't meet one, one you know, Thea or Theo or, or cousin. Um, and that's what, what happened to me as, as does in so many families. Um, but here I am walking on the street Less than two miles away from the home where I live, where I'm, where I'm talking to y'all from, um, just to find my, my Tia, someone who I had not met my whole life. Um, and if I think back to, to us continuing that conversation, um, you know, we start talking about, about family, we start talking about life, we start talking about me running for office. Um, and then she says, well, you know, have you seen your grandma? Um, and so my biological grandma, um, I had not seen in, in, in many, many years, um, since I was little and I wasn't a hundred percent sure where she lived. And so she, my Thea, Margaret, turns over and looks at me and she says, she's right down there. She's, she's only just down the street. And I said, really? She tells me which house and and says, "Yeah, you can go visit her over there." And so I start walking down down the street, and um, I, I I walk up to to this um, this house, uh, and I, I I feel immediately like I recognize where I'm at, that I'm familiar with the space that I'm in, and um, and I walk up to the door and I knock on the door, and so the door is answered. And there's my 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 grandmother, uh, from the London side of my family, standing there at the door, looking at me, and she says, "Where did you get that shirt from? <laughs> uh, it has my son's name on it." And I said, "I know." I said, "Your son is my father." I said, "You're my grandma." Um, and she looks at me with shock, like not not expecting, not expecting me. And she says, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I said I'm running for office here in the district." Um, and I, I just saw your sister and and met her for the first time. And and uh, I feel like I'm in a familiar space. I know I haven't been here in a long time. And um, and I said, and I'm your grandson. And she said, oh my gosh, mijo, come inside. <laughs> so here I am, I, I step inside and I felt like I was in a familiar space. Uh, but here I was talking to my biological grandma for the first time in, in who knows how many years. And, um, and it was, it was all, you know, by chance that I just happened to, to walk up to that first home. That was, that was my Thea's home. And she told me that my grandma was only, you know, down the street. Um, and so it, if, if I look back, I think that the biggest thing that I took out of, out of this campaign and this experience was knock on the door was you never know who's gonna be behind that door. You can send emails and text messages and do so many different things. Um, but folks in the community and, and community leaders and and families, you never know who's next door. You never know who's, who's right down the street uh, from where you are. And you have an opportunity that could change your life as mine has been just from this experience that I'm sharing with you, but if I could give anyone any any word of advice, especially from my experiences, from this random experience, I think it's it's do the thing, do whatever it is that 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 you've considered doing, whether it's run for office or apply for the job or 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 you know make the change that you've been wanting to make in your life. Um, there's an opportunity to do it. I never thought I would run into my Thea or my grandmother. Um, but here we are today and, and, and here I am I'm frequently talking to my Thea about uh, going to eat or enjoying time with her and, and so um, I'm, I definitely think that this experience has been amazing and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: A lot of people throughout our lives, and we briefly encounter countless more, most of whom you never think of twice. But as storyteller Molly Lallen learned, when the coincidences keep happening, life might be trying to give you a hint.
2: Hi, I'm Molly, and I'm going to tell a story about a happy accident. I'm not originally from San Antonio, I currently live here now, but I actually came here in 2011. I'm from Tennessee originally, I went to school at Ole Miss and then right after college I was involved with a charity um, for diabetes and they said that there was positions open in San Antonio for the sales department um, at a place called Medtronic and I jumped on the opportunity. So, um, when I was in Tennessee, I was told I was, you know, obviously I was moving to San Antonio and I was asking around to people to see what San Antonio was like and one thing that was consistently told was that San Antonio is the biggest small city you'll ever be in. So it is a town of two million people, but it always has a small town vibe, which is also very nice, obviously. Um, so when I moved down here, um, definitely want to get involved. The city did Fiesta things, um, started going to Spurs games, and I really enjoyed going to the Spurs games. So um, I was here for maybe three years. I think it was around 2013, 2014. I was working at Medtronic and decided I want to go to Spurs game that night with a friend. So the typical way of us finding tickets would be to go on Craigslist. Um, I didn't own tickets myself, but for people who did own the tickets and didn't care to go to the game that night, that was the number one place I found to find those tickets. Um, Also, there's people who won maybe pairs of tickets and they post them online for sale as well. So I found two seats that were um, very good seats and they were being sold for less than what they were worth. Um, I did see that she was just trying to get rid of them you know, because she wasn't going to the game that night, she didn't have any interest in going. I think they were playing the Timberwolves. Um, but I did reach out to the person said, hey, I'd love to buy your tickets. She said that they were um, physical tickets, so I'd have to meet up with her in order to to purchase them. Um, we decided that she she said that if I could meet her um, at the end of her work day, so like four o'clock, if I could meet her at four, then I could pick up the tickets at her work. Um, or she said I could meet her at Happy Monk across town later. And I was like, well, i would be nice if I could meet her after work. So just asking questions, I said, Hey, you know, where are you located right now? Like where's your work located? And she said, Oh, I'm over at the rim. I was like, Oh great. I'm at the rim. And you know, what are the chances? And then she said, um, I work at Medtronic. And I was like, Oh, I work at Medtronic. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, and Medtronic does have over a hundred people in that building. It's, um, it's the entire call center. So it does have like the 24 hour helpline, the supplies line training department. Um, so it's not just one one division; it's tons of them, um, and it's a three story building. And so I was asking her, you know, wh- where are you located at Medtronic? And she said, second floor. I'm in the sales department. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the sales department. And so it turns out she was actually right across the hall from me. So all I had to do was get up from my desk, walk across the hall, and she was right there. We we laughed about it. We exchanged the tickets and money. Um, we of course, told people around us like, "Can you believe this? Two million people in the city." And she saw the tickets to me. It was just the easiest transaction I've ever had with Spurs tickets. So it was really wonderful. Um, flash forward a little bit. You know, I think we kind of just let that go. And then every once in a while, I would see her with the same group a different group of people, and they'd say, "This is Emily. Do you know her?" And I'd say, "Yes, of course. You know, I bought Spurs tickets from her. It's the funny story." Um, so that was, it was kind of cool meeting up with her that way. I mean, like, Oh, this is a ironic story. Um, and then it was, um, you know, we'll flash short a couple years after that. And I was getting ready to be a bridesmaid in a friend's wedding, which is always an honor, you know, when someone asks you to be a bridesmaid like that. Um, I think she had about five bridesmaids and as, um, you know, in true form, most brides usually choose like, you know, a, an old childhood friend, a college friend, high school friend, um, a coworker. And so she was trying to get us all all to come together so that we could all meet and get to know each other um you know before all the festivities happen as being bridesmaids does involve um so we went to i think it was a luncheon or a bridal lunch and i walk in i'm so excited to meet everybody um it's also here in san antonio where where the bride was located um the wedding and everything Uh, but i walk in and i went into lunch and here sits emily my spurs tickets girl and i was like emily what are you doing here And she said, oh my gosh I'm in the wedding I'm a bridesmaid here um you know to our friend and I was like no way no way And we just we we could not stop laughing I think I had tears in my eyes because like this is just the craziest I said you know what we're gonna have to become friends it's just meant to be you know if, if God's gonna put us together twice like that we just absolutely have to be friends um The best part about that too is that we really started talking and we' really, are we're very very similar people. Um, she's one of my best friends now. When we met each other, um, we were in our twenties, we were single, you know, hanging out, going to going to bars, hanging out with people and stuff. Um, she actually just got married, and um, she's expecting a baby in the fall. And I'm so excited to be a part of her life. I was at her wedding, and um, so so great to be part of each other's lives. But we have a really good backstory to talk about it. But it's. It's kind of crazy how the world works. Um, You know, you can't really ignore that kind of stuff.
0: When their dreams of having a big family were unexpectedly thrown off course, Erin Voss and her husband had to reevaluate their options and ride roller coasters of ups and downs. Then, After the dust settled, life threw yet another curveball their way.
3: Everyone has this vision of what their family is going to look like. You think, you know, we're going to have this many kids, they're going to be this many years apart, we're going to get pregnant right away. Even I thought that. Well, it ended up complete opposite for me. So, my husband and I had been married about five years when we decided to start a family. And everybody else, we thought it would happen super easy. So we'd been trying for about six months and nothing was happening. So we decided both to go visit our doctors and see, you know, is there anything, any underlying things going on, right, that might be causing this to happen. So through that, we find out that my husband was diagnosed with something called male factor infertility, which for him meant extremely low sperm count. And he saw multiple doctors, and the message was always the same. Our only hope to have a family was through IVF. And that was absolutely devastating news. To know that to be in your late 20s, at this time in your life, when all of your hens are having kids, some without even trying, and our only hope for a family was the most expensive, the most emotionally, financially Um, physically grueling way possible was to have our family so after about nine months after my husband was diagnosed we visited the fertility clinic and we started our first round of IVF so um, IVF is about a three-week process and um, it's lots of doctors appointments and lots of shots and it eventually culminates in an egg retrieval and an embryo transfer and so for me um, everything looked perfect. So all over those many through the, about the three weeks or so, the many doctors appointments, I was responding to the medication exactly like I was supposed to, textbook perfect. So we, it culminated in the embryo transfer and, um, two weeks later, I got the call from the fertility clinic that I was pregnant. We were ecstatic. Um, we, uh, we had everything we wanted on our first try, right? Um, and we, I was pregnant. Um, and so we were thrilled, we told our, our family, we told some of our friends, um, you know, we finally had this baby. Um, the, this pregnancy finally happened. So about a week later, after I got the call that I was pregnant, um, I went into the fertility clinic for a follow-up blood test, just to make sure that, you know, hormone levels and all of those things were looking the way they were supposed to. I had no reason to believe that we would get anything other than good news. So we get a call that afternoon um, with the worst possible outcome: that the blood test showed that the pregnancy wasn't viable and that it was going to end in a miscarriage. Um, so getting that news um, and kind of the aftermath of the miscarriage, those were some of my darkest moments. Um, this this um, absolute devastation of we. Uh, we got pregnant through IVF. That's hard enough. We got pregnant. Um, and then to have all of those hopes dash ending up in a miscarriage. So after the miscarriage, um, my husband and I kind of, we had this silly determination that we were going to try it again and that we were going to get pregnant. Um, so we came in cautiously optimistic and we started to start our, our second round of IVF. So through all of the shots and the the embryo transfer and through all of that. Um for some reason I don't know what turned out different, but this time it worked. Um I got pregnant and uh nine months later I had our firstborn our uh it was a boy. Um and so I finally had this baby in my arms that we had tried so hard to have. Um, and so it kind of felt like a part of me was complete. So um but we, uh, so we knew that, um, after our son was born that we wanted, we wanted a child. We wanted him to have a sibling. So, um, when he was a little bit over a year old, we started the process of a frozen embryo transfer and that one worked too. Um, and so I got pregnant and, um, our second child was born another boy, uh, almost two years exactly after his big brother. And so um, after he was born, it was this exciting moment of um, our family is complete. I have these two beautiful babies in my arms. We have everything that we wanted. Um, and so um, as, as kind of all, this, this beautiful note of joy and uh, also this kind of a little bit of sadness in my heart. Um, because I had always wanted three kids. And we knew um, after my youngest son was born that we were not in a place to do another round of IVF. Um, we age-wise, financially, emotionally, we were not in a place that we, we knew that it was not right for us to do another round of IVF. And so for us, um, that was gonna be it with our two kids. And I kind of carried this, this little tiny ache with me over the years that I always wanted a third child. If we had been able to have kids um, like other couples and just be able to get pregnant whenever we wanted, Um, I would have wanted a third child, but it kind of felt like because we couldn't, because IVF was our only option and we were not in a place to do another round, that it kind of felt like that decision was made for us. And, um, you know, as my boys grew up, I have these two beautiful children, everything that I have wanted. But just kind of in my heart, I carried this little bitty ache of always wishing that I had had been able to have a third child. So, fast forward two years after my youngest son was born, he's two, my oldest is four. We are we're, we're doing our thing, as you know, a family of two young kids. And I realize one day that my period is late. Um, and I'm thinking that's weird. That's never happened before. Um, and I think, ooh, I gotta make a doctor's appointment. Figure out what's going on. And nowhere in my mind did I ever think that I might be pregnant. we were told that our only hope for a family was through IVF. So I decide, okay, I'm going to call my doctor. I'm going to make an appointment. And I'm thinking, okay, I should probably just go ahead and take a pregnancy test just to be safe, because I know the first thing they're going to ask me when I tell them, okay, my period's late. I need to make an appointment to see what's going on. The first thing they're going to ask me is, well, are you pregnant? And so I'm going to take this pregnancy test. So I will know for a fact, I already know it's going to be negative so that I can tell them when they ask me, you know, do you think you might be pregnant? I can tell them, you know, categorically, nope, not pregnant. So I buy this pregnancy test and um, I'm home alone. It's the summertime. I'm a teacher. So my husband is at work. My two kids are at preschool and I take this pregnancy test and I'm it's sitting on the kitchen counter and I'm waiting for it to, you know, to pop up. And I see those two little blue lines. I am pregnant and I'm looking at this pregnancy test that is positive with just complete and utter shock. Um, we were told that we would never have a family without IVF and my husband and I were not even trying. So I had never even had a positive pregnancy test in my life and here I am staring at this positive pregnancy test all by myself in my kitchen, just me. So I call my husband at work. I'm like, I've got to tell somebody. He comes home and we're both sitting in our kitchen staring at this positive pregnancy test with this, this mix of just joy and, uh, and just we can't even believe what we're seeing. So fast forward to today. My daughter is, my daughter is 16 months old. She is the happiest baby. Um, unless she's hungry or tired, um, she always has a smile on her face. And she is the piece of our family that we didn't even know was missing. So as I think back on my journey to parenthood, I think about the accidents that happened um, that kind of led us to, uh, to, our, to my journey of parenthood. The accident of biology um, that made it to where we had to do IVF to have our two sons. Um, and of course my happy little accident, um, my daughter. And so, um, the accidents that happen in our lives, um, they ultimately, um, can bring us joy.
0: Our last storyteller asked that we not use her name. Her story starts when she moved to a new city looking for a fresh start. She was feeling optimistic until things started to go wrong. It would take an utter coincidence to set her life right again.
4: At the end of 2017, I was moving to a big city um, because I was ready for a fresh start. Um, I was coming out of a really difficult year um, doing missions and ministry work, um, particularly at a organization that I didn't jive with the theology. So I was really tired emotionally, physically, mentally. So I was looking for a fresh start. I got a new job in this big city and um, I knew some people that lived there. So I was planning on moving in with them for a month. And they were a couple that I had known from a previous part of my life and I really trusted them. So I was really expecting a place to be safe and a place that I could rest and really just have this fresh start. Um, so part of me being uh, really tired and exhausted was I was just too tired to put in the legwork to find a new church in this big city and there's a bunch in this big city so since I had trusted this couple so much just from knowing them for a while um, they went to a church and I was like okay well I trust them so I'm going to go visit and uh, see what it's like uh, because their opinion uh, would re- weigh really heavy with me so i remember going to this church the first time it actually met in a house which was really i really liked that it was really endearing to me so i remember walking in and it was uh pretty chill i met some people Um, i met the pastor for a quick second nothing uh, there were no red flags to me um at the time so um yeah, it was a fine experience my first time. I didn't really love the preaching, but I was really, like I said, I was coming out of a season of life that was really difficult, and I felt like I was processing this bad theology. So um, I felt like that was probably why I didn't like the preaching, just because I was already mess. I felt like I was already kind of messed up a little bit. Um, so I stayed, and I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to stay and try this church out. Um, And after a month, I moved in with a different couple from the church and they offered to let me stay there for free, which was really nice because I wasn't making a lot of money at my new job in this big city. So they said they wanted to bless me with a free room and I took it and I moved in with them pretty quickly. So after being at this church for a couple months and living with this couple for a couple months, I started to notice some things that made me uncomfortable about the way the church was run, specifically about finances. Um, They would track my finances. They required you to tithe if you were a member, and I did become a member. And that wasn't something that was totally clear whenever I became a member. Um, Of course, they encouraged tithing, but I didn't realize that it was required because if they couldn't tell it was tithing or they couldn't track my money, they would confront me about it, and that made me very uncomfortable. They also had a us-versus-them mentality where if you're in this church, you're doing it right, and everyone else is doing it wrong. And again, this wasn't really upfront. They didn't quite say that, but that was their attitude, Um, and I didn't like that. Along the same lines was they looked down upon having friends outside of the church and something I really didn't like because I wasn't connecting with anyone in the church and I had friends outside of the church like two, but they were still friends and another thing was that they had this really extreme devotion to the pastor now if obviously if you go to a church you should somewhat trust the pastor because they're up on the stage preaching so If you don't trust them to listen to what they say, why are you there? But um, this was to a very extreme level to where it was whatever this man said up on the stage was the words of God. So if you disagreed with him in any way, you were the wrong one and there was no question. And obviously that was uh, scary to me because he really gained a loyal fan base, if you will. So I remember being there, and it was just, it was a really difficult time in the church. It was hard to leave. Um, It was scary to leave. So I didn't for a long time. Uh, And I remember after watching this video of a woman who had left a cult, I watched it, listened to her experience and her experience leaving, um, and kind of the contrast there. And I had this moment, this freak out moment of like, Oh, this isn't just a church. This is more like a cult. And um, I expressed that concern to the couple that I lived with and the couple that I knew from a previous part in my life. And they were like, "No, it's not a church. Uh, sorry, no, it's not a cult. Um, why would you think that? No, it's not." So there was just kind of, kind of gaslighting me in a way because I just I felt really uncomfortable and I was actually pretty scared and word eventually got around to the pastor um, that this is uh, where I was at. I was asking questions, and he pulled me into a room after church one day with one of the couples and berated me for an hour, telling me that I was um, a tool of Satan and that I was causing division in the church. And if anyone left because of what I was saying, and I wasn't saying much, that they were destined for hell and it was my fault. So obviously this uh, crushed me. I was, you know, I was sobbing in the room and whenever I left and ever since, from that moment on, it was never the same. So I was in this place where everyone loved this pastor. Uh, I didn't and I felt crazy for not and not loving the church. Uh, I was very, very unhappy and it leaked into other parts of my life, like my job and our relationships. Um, and I was like, Well I'm living in this house for free, <laughs> um, if I leave the church, they're gonna kick me out. So I didn't have anywhere to go. So I was in a I was in a very low, depressed place. So about eight months into being there in the big city, going to this church, thank goodness I kept my friends outside of the church. Uh, we went to a dive bar and it was a situation where like my friend brought me and she brought other friends, and then those friends brought other friends, and one of those other other friends was this guy named Cliff and um, I remember us meeting uh, we were at the dive bar kind of doing the thing where you yell at each other when you're trying to talk and like and he goes so hey where do you go to church and I was like oh I go here and he said oh I used to go there but I left and that kind of sparked my interest and I was like okay let's talk some more so we went outside and just spent some more time talking and I was like, "Why did you leave?" And he said, "I had a falling out with the pastor," and he talked to me about that. And it was the first moment where someone was like, "No, I don't like this pastor, and I don't like what he's doing." And that was a just a moment where I where I had some clarity, um, a moment that I didn't feel crazy. And Cliff was super supportive, and ended up being a really really good friend. Us meeting that night was really a A turn in my life that just gave me hope of no you're not crazy Uh, I know what's going on there and I don't like the pastor either so people actually from the church would actually discourage me from hanging out with him but I didn't stop and uh the pastor actually berated me again with more people being a part of it this time um so uh that just made it even worse um, so about a year after being there, um, my mom actually had to come get me, uh, cause I called her crying, asking her basically to come save me. And she did, but I really attribute part of my survival and leaving, uh, I attribute that to my friendship with Cliff and us meeting, uh, that night. I'm very thankful for him and, um, just how much of, just companionship and how much of just not how I'm not crazy. (laughs) Um, I learned a lot more about the church after I left and I'm very, very thankful that I'm no longer there.
0: The storytellers you just heard received guidance from story coaches, Kim Johnson and Ben Henry production assistance from Rob Martinez and Kyle Perez. The podcast is produced by Ben Henry. Bobby Salucci is vice president of marketing and communications. Dan Katz is news director. Joyce Slocum is president and CEO. If you have a story to tell or you know someone with a great story, get in touch with us at TPR.org. I'm Andrea Vocab Sanderson. Thank you for listening.